Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 203. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me, according to the regulation and uniform code of military justice. So help me God. How much blame for the midterm elections turning out the way they did can be laid at the feet of Catholics? Well, frankly, all of it. We'll examine that and America's past and future in this episode. I frequently tell you that Catholics must be doing something in this era when the church is in such great need. Now I'm telling you about something specific you can do. I've never asked God to bless the work I'm doing, but rather asked Him to let me do the work He's blessing. If you're inclined to do something for the church that's media-based, I recommend podcasting. Yes, you can launch your own show like this. Podcasting reaches the demographic we need to reach, the 18 to 34 age group. If you're like I was, you know nothing about podcasting. 
I took a course called Podcaster's Paradise, taught by one of the most successful podcasters in the industry, John Lee Dumas. After only three and a half years, I've gone from 40 listeners to over 80,000 listeners. John made me an expert in podcasting, so I recommend Podcaster's Paradise for you too. Then you can begin doing something important for God. Just click on the Podcaster's Paradise link in my show notes at cantankerouscatholic.com. I want to remind you to send me your questions for Bishop Strickland. We're running low on questions, really low. If there aren't questions for Bishop Strickland, there won't be any more segments with him. He'll go elsewhere. So send me your questions. There are a dozen ways to reach me on cantankerouscatholic.com. On election night, I was tuned into the coverage supplied by Church Militant. At one point, Michael Vorse had a brief interview with Mother Miriam Moss. I knew Mother when she worked at Catholic Answers before she became a religious. I always listen to Mother because I know what to expect. I listen to her for the same reason most of you listen to me. During the interview, Mother said that if Catholics would live their faith, the nation wouldn't be in the shape it's in. You know what? She was absolutely correct. But I began to think about the conundrum that Mother's comment exposes. There's no doubt that it's true that the nation would be in a much better condition if Catholics would live their faith. But who among them even know the faith? Democrats, whether voters or politicians, who claim to be Catholics, aren't really Catholics at all. Apart from being excommunicated because of their support for the Democrat Party platform, since Catholics are morally obliged to accept everything the Catholic Church teaches, no Democrat voter or politician can claim membership to the Roman Catholic Church. And herein lies the double conundrum. The first part of the conundrum is that the reason Catholic voters and politicians don't accept what the Church teaches is because they've never been taught those things in the first place. After all, while Mother Miriam was right in what she said, how in the world can we expect these people to live a faith that they've never been taught? They have to be taught, plain and simple. The second part of the conundrum includes you six-pack warriors. The bishops won't do their job. If the bishops won't do their job, then it's up to us to do it for them. You've heard me talk about the two primary responsibilities of every Catholic, to become a saint and to share the faith. You've heard me talk about saving the Catholic Church on earth by teaching the faith to your fellow parishioners. You've heard me repeatedly tell you that all Catholics who love the faith must begin doing something. Last week in the Catholic Quote segment of the show, you heard St. Francis of Assisi say that if you sanctify yourself, you will sanctify society. We have a moral obligation to know, understand, and live the Catholic faith ourselves, and to share those truths with our catechetically ignorant brother and sister Catholics. And you need to start doing that now, right now. Don't worry about whether you're good at sharing the faith. Don't worry about whether you're successful. You're obligated to be as good as you can be out of love for Jesus, but success isn't up to you. It's not your responsibility. You just have to do your level best. Any deficiencies you have will be made up for by the Holy Spirit. Trust me, I know that for a fact. When I started, I was terrible. Despite that, converts were made. 
I got good eventually, but the Holy Spirit did the heavy lifting, so don't be afraid to try. There's far more at stake in trying to save the Catholic Church on earth than you might think. Please consider all the things at stake in this list, the eternal destiny of your soul, the eternal destiny of millions of other souls, the rebirth of a quickly dwindling church due to the evil and cowardly bishops, an exponential growth of evil if Catholics do nothing, and the death of America. If you've listened to this show for any amount of time, you know that I love this country and have a proud patriotic family heritage. The only thing I love and endorse more than America is the Catholic Church. But it's pretty hard to promote patriotic love for America now. It's sad to say, but I firmly believe that the midterms announced the terminal illness of America. Yes, America suffers a terminal illness, and her 145-year history is coming to an end. She'll be completely dead within a few years. America is nothing like the nation I grew up in. Although I lived in Missouri most of my life, I was born and lived most of my childhood in Illinois. I grew up in a neighborhood next to a state park in the greater St. Louis area. Homosexuals would hang out in one area of the park to connect for their trysts. Why did they hide like that? Because homosexual activity was illegal in Illinois, and these perverts had to go places inconspicuous to practice their perversion. We called that section of the park Queer's Lane. Perverts weren't restricted to Queer's Lane, though. In a less conspicuous area, an area where we kids hung out and played, pedophiles would prowl around for us kids. Fortunately, my ever-present dog would never allow them to get close. Contrast this to today's America. Homosexual activity was illegal in Illinois, as it was most of the nation. Now it's not only legal, but our federal government endorses and praises this perversion on every level. While pedophilia is still illegal across America, perverts are demanding legalization. And a number of Soros-backed prosecutors have essentially made it legal by refusing to jail offenders. Sixty years ago, when I was a kid, we celebrated Independence Day with more than fireworks. We actually displayed the flag and read or watched patriotic TV shows and movies. We were proud of America and were rightly taught that ours was the greatest nation on earth, the greatest nation to have ever existed. All things from the Revolutionary War period were popular with us kids. I assume the same was true of our parents, because they're the ones who gave us the period things we had. We also put out the flag for Veterans Day, Memorial Day, and some of our families even raised the flag for VE and VJ Day. We went outside every day at school, rain or shine, to say the Pledge of Allegiance around the school flag. We had to memorize the preamble to the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. We studied both the U.S. and state Constitution. We were proud of America and proud to be American. We were ashamed of those worthless and cowardly men who burned their draft guards and ran off to Canada to avoid service in Vietnam. We burned with rage at their cowardice. In fact, from the time I was ten years old, my friends and I wanted to go fight in their place. Contrast that to America today. 
Independence Day today is nothing more than an occasion to have a fireworks display, and the Biden administration won't even allow that for the patriots who want to celebrate America at Mount Rushmore. The flag is burned and defaced regularly across America. College-age people hate veterans as badly as those brave men who returned home from Vietnam nearly 60 years ago. Memorial Day is just a day off from work. And who today among the young even know the Pledge of Allegiance? The Constitution is hated. Godless communism is becoming the preferred form of government. The only religions actually being practiced now are Satanism and Islam. Masculinity is taboo, and modern Americans see nothing wrong with every form of sexual perversion that can be thought of. America, for all intents and purposes, is in its death throes. Regarding the church in America, actually throughout most of the world, it's also in its death throat. The USCCB is a criminal syndicate. Our nation's bishops, most of them anyway, are like the unfaithful servant in Jesus' parable of the talents in Matthew 25. The talents given to the servants were the faith Jesus handed on to the bishops. The unfaithful servant, because he buried his talent, was cast into outer darkness. But do these wicked men fear that outer darkness? No, they don't. In order to fear the outer darkness, they'd have to believe in the first place. These faithless men don't believe. They only believe in money and power. They're sons of Satan, fully aligned with their communist Democrat taskmasters, who are in turn faithful only to the demonic. And as far as I can see, only one bishop in this country who has a reasonable hope of salvation is coming up in the next segment, Bishop Joseph Strickland. The church militant in America has stage 4 cancer. America has stage 5 cancer. But does this mean that there aren't any more faithful bishops, priests, or laity? Are all of the true Americans gone? No, there are plenty of us. Just not enough to save the church militant and America. If they do what must be done, these bishops, priests, and laity may become the defibrillator shock that brings the church back in 50 or 100 years, but not for now. For now, we have to learn to adjust to our code blue status and work for tomorrow. The same is true of American patriots. There are a lot of good patriots, some better than others. But we all need something symbolic to rally around, something to keep the fires of patriotism alive and burning brightly. And I want to close this segment by talking about what I believe that symbolic thing should be. Throughout history, especially Christian and American history, man has been inspired to greatness by symbols. These symbols have usually been brought to us by artists. In the church, we've been inspired by artworks like the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and the Saint Michael the Archangel. In Americana, we've had various flags and mottos. But more importantly, we've had art such as the Presidents on Mount Rushmore and George Washington. They inspire us to fight. Today, we have a new artist whose work embodies the best of Christianity in America. His name is John McNaughton. John's work is very rich in symbolism and incredibly inspiring. I contacted John and asked him if I could promote his work to you six-pack warriors, and a link to his website is in my show notes for this episode on cantankerouscatholic.com. 
I plan to have John on the show in the next few weeks to talk about his art, America, and live Christianity. I urge you to go to his site and look at his work. Take in the rich symbolism. Buy the lithographs that most inspire you and give them a place of prominence in your home. I've purchased several of his work. When I look at them, I'm inspired to get up every morning to do the things I do because they remind me of the God-man I work for and the country I love. In fact, it was one of John's pieces that inspired me to begin each episode with the Apostles' Creed, Immaculate Mary, the Oath of Induction to the Military, and the Star-Spangled Banner. I'm not making a penny from promoting John McNaughton's artwork. Hopefully, the only thing I'm making is a spark in you six-pack warriors that will cause you to save our divinely established church militant in America and America herself. I want you to realize that symbols are important to spur us on to share the faith and fight for both the church and America. We need symbols and symbolism to inspire us. God bless our holy and ancient faith. God bless America. And God bless you six-pack warriors. Now let's get on with the fight. Now stay tuned for our next segment, The Sacred Heart Wins, with Bishop Strickland. You might want to sit down for this one. I'm going to stop asking you for gifts to support this show and begin asking you to help me get more listeners to the Cantankerous Catholic. It won't cost you anything except a few minutes of your time. The more reviews the Cantankerous Catholic gets, the more often it's displayed by the podcast aggregators when people are looking for new podcasts. Occasionally, this might cause the Cantankerous Catholic to get attention from Podcast Magazine, the industry's trade magazine. So click on the link in my show notes that says, Rank and Review the Cantankerous Catholic so more Catholics can join us. Then write a short review. Doesn't cost you anything and it doesn't make me anything. It just gets more listeners for the Cantankerous Catholic and makes the USCCB live it. That's a good thing. It's time for the Sacred Heart Wins with Bishop Joseph Strickland. Each week, His Excellency answers your toughest questions about the Catholic faith, the problems in the church, spiritual questions, catechetical topics, or anything else you want to know. If you have a question, just email it to joe at cantankerouscatholic.com. Now here's Bishop Strickland and Josek Pack, the Every Catholic Guy. Six-Pack Warriors, here we are with the Sacred Heart Wins once again with Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas. You know, I just, I love being able to introduce you every week. And I very much thank you for being here. I know our listeners just absolutely love to hear you. Thanks, Joe. I, I guess it's obvious when I start talking about Christ and his church, you can't shut me up. So uh, <laughs> I'm always glad to, to talk about this, this glorious truth. And, and let me say, before we get to the questions, we need to remember to be Catholic and to know Jesus Christ in the Catholic tradition, the church he established. It's, it's a glorious blessing that we need to just be joyful about. I was thinking recently, because I talked to people, we're in tough times in the church and the world and the nation and in virtually every aspect of life. 
And I think what occurred to me is to to remember that joy is not a feeling. It's it's a way of being. And Amen. I think we as Catholics who know Jesus Christ, who know the, the beauty of the sacraments and the teachings of our faith, all of this truth, we need to choose to be joyful. And sometimes we may not feel that way, but we need to make it uh, a part of who we are. Excellency, I absolutely agree. Uh, and I appreciate you doing that. Edmund asks, I am in the home diocese of Pretender Biden, uh, Wilmington, Delaware. Our bishop has not taken a stand on Pretender Biden's receiving the Eucharist. Uh, how can we encourage our bishop to take the pastoral stand to refuse him the Eucharist as a result of his many anti-Catholic positions he supports? Well, um, it kind of gets to that question that we've addressed in various ways. Again, how do we encourage bishops to to teach the faith and to uh, to make statements in regard to the faith? I guess, Joe, I would answer that question by simply saying, do exactly that, uh, a respectful letter encouraging the bishop. Um, and again, uh, I know it's challenging for people because bishops are very busy and they're, I mean, I'm in a rather small diocese and there's still a lot more people than me, you know, and it's, so it's it can be overwhelming. But if I think the more that people can respectfully and positively just share their hearts and share their concerns and maybe provide a couple of suggestions of, of how the bishop can do this um, and how they would support him in the most charitable thing that can be done for Joe Biden at Amen. his age and his state in life is to tell him, return to the real truth of the Catholic faith. Don't just talk about what a faithful Catholic you are. Be faithful. That's what Joe Biden needs to hear, just as a son of God. And uh, so encouraging the bishop to approach it in that spiritual and positive way, that I think is the best you can do. And to trust that, you know, if you do that and you don't seem to get any response, then that's not on you. I mean, you've done your best to make that encouragement. Amen. Thank you. I, you know, it came into my mind that I would tell Edmund whenever you write, uh, your bishop point out the canon 915 is mandatory language, but he's not necessarily talking about just the Eucharist. He's, he's really talking about doing a charitable thing and helping to bring Joe Biden back to where he belongs. So, Mark asks, my beloved Bishop Fulton Sheen proclaimed it is up to the laity to save the church. Why is saving the church not the job of the bishops? Well, I don't think that um, Archbishop Sheen meant it wasn't the job of the bishops, but the, the laity do need to be engaged in this because ultimately we're not... In God's eyes, yes, I have the responsibility of being a, a successor of the apostles, as every bishop does. But we're all 
baptized in Christ, we're part of his mystical body, the church. And so we all have that same call to to be faithful and to share the truth. Uh, certainly there, there are different levels of responsibility there. So I think that's what Archbishop Sheen is getting at, is that all of us need to, like the Second Vatican Council says, a universal call to holiness is for all of us. And so we all have a responsibility. And the more all of us speak in the love and truth of Jesus Christ, the more difference it will make. And certainly bishops need to be part of that. Very good. You know, Vatican II was a real eye-opener for the laity, for those who bothered to read it, uh, because the various documents kept pushing the idea that sharing the faith and, and, and working in the church, and obviously there are things I can't do that you can because I don't possess holy orders, but we're all supposed to be doing everything as Christ commanded us to do. And that includes living the faith. That includes sharing the faith. That includes admonishing the sinner. It includes every single thing. So, you know, it was a wake-up call for the lady because they had traditionally left that up to priests and bishops and religious. And (laughs) it was kind of a shocker to find out they had the responsibility too. I loved reading Vatican II, and I think every Catholic should read Vatican II. Uh, Excellency Peter asks, does the church still consider itself church militant? It seems sometimes that it has surrendered to the neo-pagan culture and disbanded. Well, um, whether the church considers herself church militant, uh, I think officially, yes. Um, we still, the, the church triumphant is in heaven. The church militant is here on earth. But that militant spirit uh, certainly has, has diminished. And I think there's a tendency, as we see in our, in our national society and in the world, really, it certainly is the same in the church kind of a, an idea of go along and get along and, you know, let things be and not a fervor about sharing the truth, which would be part of living as church militant. The, the society certainly, as, as sadly, as much violence as there is in our world, uh, there's a tone of wanting to even the word militant people react to. But if you look to the saints, um, some of them were quite militant, but in all of them, in one way or another, were fervent in living the faith, many of them willing to die for the faith. And uh, that spirit is what we, we need to rekindle. There is a tendency to be, you know, what I would call lukewarm about our life in Jesus Christ and as Christ himself says, you know, either be hot or cold. Um, if you're lukewarm, I'll, I'll spew you from my mouth. It's, it's revolution. Revelation three fifteen. Yeah, <laughs> we need to we need to really um, be on fire for with the faith. I mean, Christ says Amen. Uh, uh, the he wishes the fire would be lit, and 
you know, sometimes we wonder if it's even smoldering at, at this time, but we have to trust in the truth and be on fire, not attacking, but vigorously, joyfully sharing the truth that is Jesus Christ. Uh Six-pack warriors, if you don't see the church as being militant, that's your fault. That is your fault. You have to be willing to die for even the tiniest truth that Jesus Christ gave us. You have to be willing to die every minute of every day for your faith. So if you're not seeing the church as militant, it's probably because you're not militant. You need to live the faith that way. Uh, Excellency, our final question, Thomas asks, why would a bishop close a parish if it had no debt? And that's especially relevant in my diocese right now. Well, those are complicated issues. Um, I know at face value you think, well, there's no debt. Why close it? I think a lot of it has to do very often with the shortage of personnel. And and just the, I mean, there are lots of questions to ask about, you know, what community that uh, parish is serving. Uh, you know, things change. The, I mean, and uh, even here in Tyler, um, in the diocese, communities can can change. Most of ours are changing with growth, thankfully. But um, I think there there are a lot of questions beyond not having any financial debt that have to be addressed. And a lot of it, sometimes it, it simply comes down to not having the personnel to cover it. Yeah. There's, there's also, uh, uh, you know, the demo, as you mentioned, the demographics change and, and what used to be a neighborhood full of Catholic, perhaps, uh, ethnic Catholics, uh, of one ethnicity or another, you end up with a completely different demographic in there. And um, if the parish doesn't have a strong evangelization program, eventually, uh, just by attrition, it's going to have to be closed. There's no choice. So uh, I hope I hope that helps you out, Thomas. Excellency, we have finished another segment of the Sacred Heart wins, and so I'm sure we'll see you again next week, correct? Thanks, Joe. God bless. God love you, Excellency. Do you like to write? Would you like to learn to write? What if I told you that anyone can learn to write and build a six-figure income as a result? I'm talking about copywriting. The sales letters you've read, the radio and TV commercials that you hear and see, and virtually everything you see online from asking for donations to selling things was written by a copywriter. And those jobs pay big. The American Writers and Artists Institute, or AWAI, will teach you everything you need to know to be a highly paid copywriter. Then, after you've completed their comprehensive course, AWAI will even help you get your first high-paying client. And this is a perfect career for stay-at-home moms because you can work at your leisure from your internet-connected devices from anywhere in the world. Learn more by clicking the link in my show notes that says American Writers and Artists Institute. Do it today. 
I am hard, but I am fair. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. In the early part of the 20th century, a missionary priest in Jamaica was riding his horse-drawn carriage to the next place where he was to celebrate Mass. With several miles yet to go on this hot, sultry day, he encountered a youth who stopped him to ask, Father, what time is Holy Mass? The missionary stopped his carriage. The native youth was about 18 years old, a lad he'd recalled seeing at various times in his little church. Are you going to Mass? the priest asked. Yes, Father, am I too late? Are you going to Montego Bay? Yes, Father. How far have you already walked? From over the mountain, eight miles back. You are walking thirteen miles to Holy Mass? Yes, Father, and I'm fasting for Holy Communion. Do you intend to walk back home today? Yes, Father. The missionary invited the boy to climb into the seat beside him, and they rode together onto the mission church five miles away. We could learn a lot from that Jamaican lad. The boy had walked 26 miles in the hot and humid tropical environment of Jamaica, going from home and back just to participate in the holy sacrifice of the Mass to meet his Sunday obligation. He could have been excused from the Mass obligation because of the hardship in getting there. Yet, not only did he put forth the heroic effort to attend Mass, but he was also fasting for communion, a fast required in those days from midnight the night before. Would that we all had such love and devotion to our Lord and the sacrifices he made. We think we're good and devout Catholics if we attend the Holy Sacrifice of Mass a couple of times a month. We grumble and feel inconvenienced that we have to interrupt our weekend activities to attend that. Many of us ignore the simple one-hour fast required before receiving communion. Perhaps some of you grow weary of my frequent boot camps about devotion to the Mass and respect for the Holy Eucharist, but this is something we have to focus on. As Pope Pius XII said after the Second World War, we have lost our sense of sin, and many of us, perhaps even most of us, commit sin every week through our carelessness when it comes to Mass and Communion. So let's spend a moment looking at some of the ways we sin or disrespect the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, Communion, and our Lord's redeeming sacrifices. It is indeed an obligation to attend Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation under pain of mortal sin. If we commit mortal sin by our failure to attend Mass, we can't go to communion again the next time we attend Mass unless we go first to confession. Otherwise, we're committing additional mortal sin of sacrilege, and we need to recall that to die in a state of mortal sin is to condemn ourselves to the eternal punishment of hell. Although the church requires mass attendance under pain of mortal sin, one may be excused from attendance for grave reasons. For example, if you're too sick to get out of bed, you're certainly too sick to go to mass. 
Another example of a grave reason that would excuse you from the Mass obligation would be to care for someone else who is too ill to attend Mass, perhaps your child or an elderly person. Back in the days when our Jamaican lad was fasting for communion, the fast was from midnight the night before. Since Vatican II, the Church has reduced the fast to only one hour prior to receiving communion, but still required under pain of mortal sin. The only things allowed that don't violate the fast are water and prescription medication. So forget about your breath mints, chewing gum, and any sort of snack. I see parents all the time bringing finger food for their children to occupy them during Mass. It's bad enough that they do that rather than beginning the discipline of teaching their children about participating in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, but from time to time I see them sharing in their children's finger food before they themselves receive communion. Oops, that's a no-no. Another mortal sin observed in parishes regularly is when people leave immediately after receiving communion, that is, leaving before the Mass is over. Mass isn't over until the priest gives the final blessing. To leave immediately after communion on a weekday Mass is terribly disrespectful to our Lord and the holy sacrifice of the Mass. But to leave immediately after communion on Sunday or Holy Day is a mortal sin. Why? Well, if you leave before the final blessing, you have failed to meet your Sunday or Holy Day obligation because you haven't attended Mass, only part of it. And whether it be a Sunday Mass or a weekday Mass, it's like saying, Okay, Lord, I realize you're representing your sacrifice on the cross and all, but I've really got this other thing I have to do, so adios. Can you imagine John walking away from the cross and Mary at the crucifixion because he had something else to do, or because he wanted to beat the traffic in the parking lot? Really? How much difference can it make to wait another five minutes? For the sake of propriety and respect, we shouldn't exit the church before the priest, but to leave before the Mass is ended with the final blessing on Sunday or Holy Day of Obligation is sinful because, in effect, we haven't been to Mass at all. The other day I witnessed an adolescent girl receive communion in her hand, then play with it as she walked away before putting it into her mouth. Receiving communion in the hand is legitimate, barely, but you're obligated to put our Lord into your mouth immediately prior to leaving the presence of the priest, deacon or extraordinary minister. Communion in the hand began as an abuse as the church never allowed such a thing to take place. This abuse began in the United States, initiated by some who thought that after Vatican II, virtually anything was allowed. Learning about this during the course of my conversion to Catholicism and knowing the only reason the priest's hands are worthy to hold the body of Christ is because of the anointing his hands received during his ordination, I resolved never to receive communion in any way except on the tongue. Perhaps you would want to consider this practice yourself. As St. Paul points out in his writings, not all things that are permissible are necessarily good. The abuses heaped against the Holy Eucharist and the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass are often done by people who really don't know any better. Others are simply careless. This comes from a lack of proper catechesis. 
Bishop Sheridan of Colorado Springs points out in an August 2015 article in his diocesan paper that, quote, there are many reasons why the gospel of Jesus Christ is still dismissed by the majority of those who call themselves Catholic. Not least among those reasons is the failure of catechists in the post-Vatican II years to announce the good news in all its power and fullness, end quote. Well, I'm announcing it now. Coming up next, the Catholic quote for this week. You probably won't believe this, but I had a priest tell me the other day that it's better to leave the laity in their ignorance of Catholic teaching so they can have a better chance at going to heaven. What? The Catholic Church clearly teaches that a Catholic's ignorance of the faith is an evil, a privation, that the human mind created in God's image is made to know truth. I can't judge the state of this priest's soul, but I can judge what he told me. What he said implies that he really doesn't care about the souls of his parishioners. Fortunately, I can know that faithful priests aren't that way. Jesus established the Catholic Church for one reason and one reason only, so we'd have a chance to go to heaven, a chance to become saints. As I heard a local priest say in a homily a while back, if you don't want to become a saint, why on earth are you a Catholic? Since at least 95% of Catholics neither know nor understand the Catholic faith, a chance to become a saint isn't possible for them. Conscientious priests and devoted laity naturally want to help parishioners do that. Well, I can help you with that. Introducing the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Endorsed by Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke, each of these inserts teaches a thumbnail catechism lesson. When parishioners begin to get involved, they'll get many more benefits besides, and at a cost of only $19.95 a month. But you won't start out paying that because I want to give you a three-month subscription free of charge just to try it out. Take 11 minutes to watch the video fully explaining it by clicking the link in my show notes that says Six-Pack System Bulletin Inserts to learn more. A lot of lay people get a subscription for their parish as a way to support the parish without giving the bishop any of their money. To learn more, click on the link in my show notes that says Six-Pack System Bulletin Inserts. It just requires 11 minutes of your time. Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Teresa of Avila. She said, We always find that those who walked closest to Christ were those who had to bear the greatest trials. Coming up next is the Catholic story for this week. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. Dorothy Fremont Grant, who lived in the middle of the last century, was a convert and a brilliant writer. She tells the following story on herself. I had a marvelous time on the roof of a large New York hotel one day. It was Friday. 
In company with 600 others, I sat down to luncheon on the Roof Garden restaurant. The luncheon menu had been selected by the group. Though a Friday, 600 lamb chops were served. All went well until the waiter placed chop before me. I'll take a poached egg, I said quietly. Soon the head waiter was at my side. Doesn't Madam care for the chop, he asked. You forget, perhaps, said I, that today is Friday. I'll take a poached egg. But Madam, he urged coaxingly, I'll have to send down twenty floors for a poached egg. What a pity, I sympathized. Be sure it doesn't get cold on the way up. Three of the ten at my table were Catholics. But seeing the fuss and being gentlewomen, they just smiled and said they didn't like egg. Even at the risk of causing trouble, you should observe the days of fast and abstinence. The Catholic ladies in the group were ready to hurt God rather than to hurt the feelings of the waiters or those who ordered the meal. Dorothy Grant had enough courage to obey the laws of the church no matter what happened. She failed to find a good example in the Catholic women who were with her. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.